The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! back for another episode of they must be destroyed on site a movie podcast and this time around i am only joined by my co-host paul so how you doing paul yep doing yeah. pretty good yeah daniel is uh actually engaging in having a social life this weekend so you know he decided to betray us bastard he, he did it for uh reasons we won't we won't disclose here but uh, they're very good reasons so. sausage yeah <laughs> i think before we get into our Part two of our Italian uh, horror series. We'll get right quick to a comment that I got pretty much right at the last minute tonight from uh, Guess Who? Guess Who? Yeah, Greg. And so, Greg. Berserker also sent one too. Did he? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, maybe that one didn't show up on my thing because uh, his comments all go to my spam folder for some fucking reason. Spam. Okay, well, then I'm going to have to do a little quick impromptu check-in here and see... We're going to have to do a little check-in. We're going to have to bide the time, because I really relied on you and Daniel this uh, this episode, and, and Daniel just kind of, you know, stabbed me in the back, giallo-style. <laughs> that son of a bitch. Put his black gloves on and just stabbed me in the back, because I didn't get a lot of time this week to do stuff like watch movies for podcasts. I was just going to bump back off of you guys, and now it's just me. Daniel told me that he, up till this day, he haven't hadn't even uh, watched the movies yet. So premeditated backstabbing. Okay, I don't see Berserker's comment anywhere. Oh, okay, well, he doesn't matter really anyway. <laughs> get on to get on the Gregs, and I'll and I'll get Berserkers for you. Okay, that will work. Beautiful. He said, prior to these, I've only seen three Fulci films: Zombie, City of the Living Dead, and The Beyond. I don't have much to say about uh, the host by the cemetery, other than I didn't care for it all that much. I get that it's supposed to be surreal, but I would prefer if it made a little more sense. The scene with the bat, well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> and he says, I also wish the kid died, and the actor who dubbed his voice died as well apparently he says i hate to agree with daniel but i enjoyed a cat in the brain quite a bit more it actually struck me as being more of a black comedy than a serious horror film i wonder if that was supposed was on purpose or not yeah i think it probably was terrible dubbing doesn't help some of the kills were just hilarious with the body parts flying off for seemingly minor injuries yeah the ending was incredibly abrupt and sudden Overall, I'd still rank this behind the previous Fulci films I've seen, but it's better than the first movie by a mile. Fulci's films generally have some good gore, but I've always preferred the work of Savini for this kind of stuff. Fulci's stuff is a little too fake-looking for me. I disagree. I think some of his, some of the gore effects in some of his films are hit or, hit or miss, but uh, I think for the most part, a lot of them are actually pretty impressive, honestly. I, th- uh, I think it also yeah it also depends again I, we we talked about this with Terminator uh, like an episode ago or so about how it mm-hmm. looks really garbage on like Blu-ray and like high DVD. definition and shit right uh, but if you mm-hmm. if you look at it like certain prints and stuff if you just watch it on fucking YouTube or something like that I, I find it looks still looks pretty damn good but uh, again I think you got to be kind of into uh, what they do with it, as far as Italian gore goes anyway so. 
Well, you have to be acclimated to the style a little bit more to appreciate it, maybe, and uh, and how they do stuff, and you know, a little bit of the we understand how it's made, how that this uh, what kind of complications that you they would normally uh, rise, what budget they usually have, things like that. Yeah. Uh, do you have the uh, episode playing in one of your windows? Because I can hear. Myself. No, I do not. No. Nope. Because I can no, hear myself for some reason. Well, mm. maybe you're just that deep in your own brain. Maybe there's a cat in your brain. <laughs> Maybe I can't hear myself. No, I, de- I, de- I definitely, I definitely like hear some kind of uh, laugh track and stuff going on or something. <laughs> I hear something. Yeah, I don't hear myself. But now, it, so it, apparently, it's it, fixed. definitely not. Okay, that's the great and wonderful bro- bylog, of course. And now the Beerzerky and Durandier. I just Beer say Beerzerker because his name doesn't really roll off the tongue very well. Radian Beerzerker Radian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, it says um, I can't read because I'm I'm from the woods. So let's see. Have y'all for some reason you all have y'all heard this band that does foreign movie scores in a metal fashion called Phantomas? I find most digital music to be substandard. Same with movie equipment. Analog is the real streaming signal as film uses real light sensitivity, sensitive supply, whatever. The quality will be superior for blah, blah. So he basically just talked about uh, the sound quality of music and stuff instead of the actual film. I thought he talked about film first. Uh, not all, I guess. I use a couple of cheesy digital things, blah, 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 and smoke good at cheesy. So, okay, there you go. Thanks a lot. Um, and this film sounds quite wake. So, there you go. I don't know what quite Wait, wake Yeah, is. okay, I did see that comment. I just forgot about it. Uh, that was from, like, the previous episode, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was from Fulci's House by the Cemetery Cat in the yeah. Brain. Apparently, I... waked is a Canadian thing. I don't know. Maybe you meant to say Apparently it's a Western Canadian thing because I never fucking heard it over my side of the country. But uh, well, you know, Western Canadians, we try not to deal with them. We try just to pretend they don't exist. Yeah, I, I have a hard time ignoring them, but I, I do manage. But that I was can... all right. We'll just we'll just cut this out. Thanks for wasting our time, Berserker. <laughs> ah! I, I like I like uh, some of the old analog stuff. I mean, John Carpenter did all of his fucking soundtracks on no. analog. Analog all the way. Uh, although I, I, I will say, I mean, if you listen to Carpenter's album that he released there, um, Lost Themes, he moved into sort of the digital age, and that album's pretty fucking awesome. Like, this, mm-hmm. the stuff he does in that is really, really good. So, I mean, you know, there's pluses and minuses with both old and new technology. So I do have a, uh, a vinyl of um, different, it's just a couple 7 inches and a 12 inch and a couple of Italian horror movies, uh, soundtracks on vinyl. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I can't, I didn't listen to them. I kept them as collectors. So I should actually just say, screw it, rip them out and actually listen to them and play them and, t- and let you know who actually does the music and stuff. But yeah. it's definitely awesome artwork. Uh, vinyl, I'll make the exception for and saying that the sound quality is better than the CD. Just based on the fact that you're actually having physical surfaces contact each other and making vibrations. And those vibrations are trans. If you have really good speakers, if you have shit speakers with shit wood in them, not so much. But if you have like really old school speakers with like really good wood in them, You'll get those vibrations. You'll get the sound vibrating. And a a diamond needle instead of a plastic needle. Yes. That is as close as you get to having like an actual band playing in the room with you. One of of the mainest thing about CDs, if if you listen to CDs per like 96, like that era, you know, like the early like 95, 96, 94, Mm -hmm. take the same album that you can buy remastered now and the original album sounds a lot better because the they they when they master digital they clip it 
to like the mm-hmm. highest standard to make it as loud as possible. But because of that, it flattens out. <clears throat> excuse me, when you miss a lot of the integral stuff that's in the older releases. I always, I've, I've always felt like I've always just sort of liked like the original, original CD versions of stuff, like just the original couple generations of CDs that were out. All the remastered stuff, it sounds overly produced to me. I mean, it is. It's it's yeah. overly clipped. It's uh, they they raise everything to make it a lo- as loud as humanly possible. True, you have to turn the everything you have from '94 to literally the max to get it as loud, but it still sounds better. And they're and they're cleaning stuff up as well, and they're doing it on albums that don't need to be cleaned up. I mean, there there are exceptions out there. I mean, there are some really classic albums out there that sounded like fucking dog shit because they were recorded on dog shit equipment, right? In really bad studios. But if you take like the Rolling Stones early albums, I don't want to fucking hear those cleaned up. They sound like really raw and really fucking good. Mm-hmm. In, in yeah. the original CD releases, because they're just transferring the tapes right over to the fucking CDs, mm-hmm. the analog tapes, and right. uh, but the, and then you compare the the re-releases that they've done in the last few years, and it they're takes, all cleaned it up. Takes, it takes the realness out of it a little bit. It, like, it does. The, it's time it just, period and stuff. Don't like it. No, don't, sorry, don't like it. Man, uh, uh, Charles Manson would not approve. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I guess we can move on from the comments. Uh, thanks for uh, the comments, uh, Beer Zerker and Greg. And uh, we appreciate any comments, uh, criticisms, questions. Yeah. Negative um, comments, def- definitely. Definitely. Uh, movie requests, anything like that you want to see us do. Uh, we're really open for that. Um, so please do it. We, we want feedback, good or bad. I think we can move on to what we've watched in the last little while. Uh, I know for a fact that you really haven't watched the movies that we're going to be doing tonight. So is there <laughs> anything else you watched this week? Or I did, I, I did have the opportunity to sit down as a dork moment and watch the Dawn of the Dead original with the commentary just to relax. I didn't watch any of the films because of the simple fact is when I was doing them, they were sporadic while I was doing housework and tired so i just put mm-hmm. the dawn of the dead on so there you go nice <laughs> well at least you watch something that involved dario argento exactly i figured as long <laughs> as it's somewhere involved in there i'll get it close enough anyway yeah. there's definitely somebody with gloves on at some point in time yeah i'm pretty sure there was yeah good um, Moving on. I do have a couple purchases. Just the the other week, I got, speaking of our last episode, Fulci, I got Conquest. I have that. It's a great movie. Yeah, I like it. Uh, the most sort of spaced out fucking bizarre version of the sort of sword and sorcery film you can think of. The, fil- the version I have is actually a trauma release. Oh, you got a trauma release of that? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I do. Yeah, it's a big old box set version of it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I suppose it's got like 18,000 fucking trailers that have nothing to do with the movie and three or four supplements that have nothing to do with the movie starring Lloyd Kaufman just shilling his products everywhere. Basically, it's him just laying on the street yelling at people. Yeah, that's what he does. <laughs> I love I love Lloyd Kaufman. Yes. Uh, he, he's so fucking shameless. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I got Zadotachi uh, meets Yojimbo which is a good samurai film that I've wanted to get for the longest time now. I saw it on TV once long, long ago, and I wanted to get it just because I liked Shiro Mifune. And... I can't think of I think of everything but Asabi Yojimbo from the Ninja Turtles, the giant rabbit samurai. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> Yojimbo just means bodyguard. But uh, Okay, thank you. 
But it's a nice, it's a nice little bloody samurai film. Toshiro Mifune doesn't quite play the uh, character he played in Yojimbo and uh, Sanjiro, but good enough for me anyway. I I geek out to it anyway. We, we were talking about the Shaw Brother films in Golden Harvest a while ago, and I mm-hmm. told you about Mag- Magnificent Bodyguards. Um, the film that I was trying to specifically tell you that was more old school, classic Chinese cinema, that kind of thing, kung fu, mm-hmm. is To Kill with Intrigue. Kill with Intrigue. To Kill with Intrigue, definitely check it out. It's more uh, one of Jackie Chan's more straighter films where he's more hardcore and just not, not very – he's not comical at all on it. So. He's not mugging for the camera, yeah. No, it's definitely more serious overall. Nice, definitely nice. I'm always, I'm always open to finding some good Jackie Chan films because I'm honestly not the biggest fan of his. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I enjoy that film quite a bit. So cool. And the other, the only other thing I got uh, as far as purchases uh, relevant to this episode, uh, just it showed up today, so it was good timing. Uh, the Cat of Nine Tales, Dario Argento. Ah. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet, but uh, I'm a, I'm a sad man. I have many DVDs like this, and mm-hmm. when I got them over different places, different times, different eras, and I realized they're region two, and I can't watch them. Oh fuck! I, I have many films that I can't watch. Yeah, you got you got to get yourself a, a region free player. Yeah, I'm gonna have to, yeah, because I've been buying other versions of them just so I can watch, and then I find out that the region two is oh, it's 35 minutes longer. Oh, great! Yeah. I, I wish I had a region three player because I'd be I'd be fucking broke right now because I'd be buying everything off fucking eBay because there's there's so many great fucking European releases and stuff that just never see the light of day over here. I mean, only now um, I guess the real big company over in uh, Europe is uh, well in England at least is Arrow Films, who are essentially like the Blue Underground of England. They've only just started releasing some of their stuff is for North American markets, but they've got all these awesome fucking DVDs and Blu-rays that are just they're all. They're all fucking like whatever region they are, region two or something. I think they're so region two would be what it is. The sad thing is right now, um, it, it it this this conversation directly affects the next two uh, episodes that we're going to work on. Region coding and and censorship and cutting is really labored one of the films that we're going to we're actually two of the films we're going to watch. Both of our films, yeah. The Tenebrae obviously has uh, has uh, editing issues obviously yeah. and the other one is Argento's Deep Red with is 119 minutes or something like that very and it, and I saw one on uh, um uh, face on uh, YouTube that I basically fast forwarded through like I watch all my movies and it was like <laughs> two hours and it was two, two hours, hours and, five, and two hours and five minutes five minutes one. and That's I'm like the... yeah so we got ripped off there and apparently now you have to watch out for this guys there's a there's a blood fest a blood fest I think it's called box set yeah um, it's super cool looking it's a coffin box it, it, it comes with a house on, a house on the cemetery by the cemetery uh, deep red uh, there's a couple different other t- uh, really great titles that I can't tell you about right now that are on there. They're all cut PG ratings, so oh, don't really? waste your money. How the fuck would you cut Dario Argento stuff down to PG? They're they're literally cut down to about ninety minutes. Wow. So so don't waste your money, um, guys, on that one. I mean, the box set is cool, but you're literally buying a cool box full of shit. Yeah, uh, and, and we have another problematic situation with diff uh, that uh, the Europeans won't face. Is uh, I'll just m- say it right now because one of the upcoming films we're going to do is Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Black Sabbath has a horrible editing problem where they cut stuff in the U.S. market. 
and actually change the whole aspect of one of the episodes to make it make no sense whatsoever because yeah. it wasn't PC for America. So we have cutting issues everywhere. The uh, version of Black Sabbath that's on uh, Netflix right now, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's the full version that has doesn't have the, the uh, cuts in it. I, I know what you're talking about. We'll and get we'll, into that a little bit later, and we'll, we'll we'll go back and forth, and you can fill me in on where where my version I know is lacking. So that would make sense. Yeah, that would be cool. Two two other things uh, that I just watched this week. Uh, I just want to mention. Um, I watched a movie that I never saw before uh, that just sort of piqued my interest. I, I went on to like Scream Factory. They have their uh, Scream Factory TV, which is basically their sort of little streaming service that's like Netflix, where they just showcase uh, stuff from their library on it. It's, it's it's pretty cool. Like, they've, they've actually started to get a lot of stuff on there, so you can get some of their films just straight, and you can get their films with commentary on them, too, so that's kind of cool. But I watched Dreamscape. I can't remember the year. It was 1980-something, I believe. Uh, Dennis Quaid, really awesome film. I, I totally was floored how good it was. Uh, it, it basically involves Dennis Quaid. He's like a legit psychic with like telekinetic abilities and stuff like that. And he gets sucked back into this government program that he was in years ago. And uh, he finds that like some government bigwigs are trying to use him as an assassin to assassinate the president in his dreams. And it's pretty neat. It, it sort of plays off like the sort of Freddy Krueger stuff that was going on during, during that time. And I was actually quite entertained by it. It was, it was really, really good. Definitely worth check worth checking out if you've never seen it before. And the other thing I watched before it showed up on Netflix, I, I it was actually on Put Locker. So I, I checked it out. It's going to be on Netflix, I think in the next day or so. Tremors five. <laughs> oh Yeah. And it yeah. was good. It was good. It was actually really good. Uh, the The last two Tremors films kind of blew fucking goats, but they went back a bit more towards uh, the first film where they mixed the comedy with like just sort of like brutal horror as well. You know, with, like a lot of blood and stuff. They didn't, you know, they didn't skimp on the blood this time out. So it's kind of cool. Like they go to uh, Africa and they have these like sort of mutated versions of the Graboids and the other different variations of them. And it was actually really, really good. Paul Gross, you know, just fucking kicking ass, erasing his image from family ties even more. <laughs> what they say is uh, when you need it and don't have it, you'll sing a different tune. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, That's his best line. Uh, one of the greatest scenes I've seen this year is Paul Gross in a cage. Drinking and rubbing his own piss all over himself. There you go. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It is actually a lot of fun. But I'm sure a lot of people go be going like Tremors Five. I'm not fucking watching that. Like that sucks. But I mean, no, it, actually, so, it sounds great. I mean, that's how I spent my last weekend. So yeah. I mean, it's perfect. Just in a cage, rubbing piss all over myself. So uh, <laughs> he got paid for it, though. Uh, no, it's actually it's actually a lot of fun, and it's worth checking out. It, it's actually like a real return to form to the series. It's like is as good. At the very least, it's better than part two, which I thought was pretty good. And you know, it, it doesn't quite match up to part one, but it, at least it's sort of back into the spirit of, of things. It's not. I'm, just, assu- I'm assuming no Kevin Bacon. No Kevin Bacon. No. Oh, okay. There's no bacon with this. Bill. No. No. Uh, but yeah, that w- that was it. All right, so I, I think we can uh, sort of get into our main uh, meat of the episode. We're doing Dario Argento, and he's probably best known for doing the Giallo films. And if you're not sh- familiar with what uh, Giallo is, I'll just give you a real quick primer. Uh, it means yellow in Italian, but it can also 
uh, refer to, and I'm just taking this directly from Wikipedia. Wikipedia's <laughs> got all the facts, man. I got all the facts, baby. It is a 20th century Italian slasher genre of literature and film. In Italy, the term simply denotes thrillers, typically the crime fiction, mystery, and horror subgenres, regardless of the country of origin. <sighs> in English-speaking countries, however, the term giallo is used to refer to a particular style of Italian-produced murder mystery film, which is often includes elements of horror fiction and eroticism, similar to the French fantastique genre. The genre began in the mid to late 60s, peaked in popular popularity during the 70s and subsequently declined over the next few decades, though some examples continue to be produced. It has been considered to be a predecessor to the significant influence and significant influence on uh, the later American slasher film genre. So that that's essentially what it is. And I mean, as we talk about these films, you'll try, you'll probably pick up some of the uh, sort of stylistic motifs and tropes and stuff that come out of these films because Argento essentially laid down the groundwork for what people think of when they think of these uh, films in the genre. So Dario Argento, just a quick little thing on him, born September 7th, 1940. Uh, he's actually 75 right now, which actually kind of surprised me that he was that old. But anyway, he's a, he's a son of a film producer and executive who was uh, Salvatore Argento and a Brazilian-born photographer, Elda Luxardo. Uh, and he began his career as a film critic. Uh, he started writing for various magazines and newspapers while attending high school. And he, so he pursued journalism for a while until he moved on to screenwriting. He has a lot of credits under his belt for that. But probably the most well-known one uh, is Once Upon a Time in the West that he uh, co-wrote with Bernardo Bertolucci. But after that success, he moved on to start doing his own films, and he hit it big with The Bird with the Crystal Plumage in 1970, and he followed that up with A Cat O' Nine Tales, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, and then we get into Deep Red. Those were sort of his uh, giallo uh, period, and then he went on to some more supernatural stuff before he picked up uh, giallo again. He was doing like Suspiria, which is probably one of his best-known films. He did Inferno and Mother uh, Mother of Tears, which... A lot of people have shit on. And and apparently they're a little trilogy. Yeah, it is a little trilogy, yeah. His stuff has sort of declined over the years. Uh, <laughs> just a little bit. There, there's there's a big departure from the, the stuff he was doing in the uh, 70s to mid-80s. Uh, let's just put it that way. He, he's now best known for essentially putting his camera, focusing on his naked daughter's body. <laughs> that, a little disturbing because uh, Asia Argento is super fucking hot. When it, you know it's her dad sticking his camera up her butt crack, uh, not too cool with that. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, kind of, kind of ruins the mood a little bit, but it, it hits a mental wall. It definitely, yeah, does. just it, it just does. But yeah, I, I think his he sort of peaked around. Uh, late 70s, early 80s, and it's been kind of a steady decline. Uh, I, I just recently watched Dracula 3D, and my God, was that... Yeah. No. <laughs> just no. Oh. Uh, and, and you know what? It wasn't all that bad until he started throwing CGI stuff into it, and this was a case of where CGI really ruined a film. Like, just really fucking seriously hurt a film bad. So anyway, he's he's also well known for collaborating with uh, Ro George Romero on Dawn of the Dead. He earned a producer credit on that, and he provided the soundtrack work for the uh, for the film. He oversaw the European release of the film, 
where it was titled Zombie. His version was, of course, much shorter and fe- featured much more music from uh, the group called Goblin, which he mm-hmm. has collaborated several, several times. And uh, I think that will just take us uh, right into our first film there, Paul. The first one we're going to be doing is Deep Red from 1975, known as oh. Profondo Rosso. kind of death. Beyond shock. What was that? Beyond horror into total terror. Murder runs wild. Blood runs cold. Deep red. The conjecture is that an act of bloodshed was once committed in that house. not doing tenebrae first oh my god yeah well no we should go tenebrae last because that comes later so and it's alphabetical anyway this is also known as the hatchet murders of course directed by argento written by argento uh bernito uh zapponi and uh the soundtrack was done by goblin and Giogoro gasolini i i totally probably butchered that name but fuck it gasolimo gasopto limo there you go yeah. So uh stars David Hemmings as uh, Marcus Daly, Daria Nicolodi as Gianna Breezy, Maka Morel as Helga Ullman, Clara Clamini as Martha, Gabriel Lavia as Carlo, Eros Pagni as uh, Sergeant, uh, I guess, Detective or whatever, Cal Cabrini, and Juliana Cal- Calandra as Amanda Rigatti. 
um, or Rigetti. The box office for Italy was, I guess they're Lira in Italy, I think. I'm not, or maybe it's francs. I don't know. I don't know what they use for money anymore. But it was Jesus Christ. Is that is that right? Three lira. Jesus, <laughs> that's a big number. <laughs> it's three point seven billion lira. How much yeah, was that? Three, Five three, bucks. Three three billion seven hundred nine million seven hundred twenty three thousand lira in uh, Italy. Apparently, six hundred twenty nine thousand nine hundred three dollars in the United States. Uh, either way you put it, I think it's probably a big hit because I'm pretty sure the budget wasn't all that big for the film. But yeah, this this one revolves around, uh, and this is sort of a typical uh, uh, thing for a lot of his uh, giallo films, especially. Uh, it usually involves like a foreigner who is artistically inclined somehow, getting involved in a murder mystery and becoming a detective himself, taking up the sort of case on his own. Essentially, Marcus Daly, he's out with his friend uh, Carlo. They're both musicians, uh, jazz musicians, I guess. So he witnesses a murder. Of course, he gets in contact with the police, wants to give them everything he knows, uh, but he's forgotten or blocked out some of the uh, stuff he saw. He, he, he's not quite sure what he saw. And he gets wrapped up in this murder mystery. The killer eventually starts targeting him and targeting people who could uh, essentially out the killer. And yeah, I'll just uh, get into your initial thoughts on this one, Paul, if you have any. Oh, I think it's a great movie. Uh, it's definitely a cover-up film. Uh, Cover-up the tracks kind of a film, definitely. Mm-hmm. It doesn't doesn't diver- or divulge or diverge too much from that aspect is in the initial point, the psychic that uh, has a vision of the killer that has mm-hmm. killed and will kill again. Machia Merrill, uh, Helga, which plays Helga. She's also in Night Train Murders. So we'll definitely check out Night Train Murders because she's great in that film. But uh, she, she, uh, she ends up getting killed after she publicly announces that she knows the killer, but she never says who. And then it just kind of goes on to a nice little train of giallo type murders from then on. It's really interesting. Starts off with a, uh, a young boy that has a bloody knife thrown to his feet. That kind of sets the mood for the film. Overall, it's pretty good. I think the uh, effects are good. I like the makeup and things like that. The overall story is good. I think um, Marcus plays it really good. I like his acting a lot in it. It's pretty interesting. I mean, there's a lot of plays on it. Just trying to use, just trying to get, get back my brain, trying to think about the <laughs> <laughs> a little bit and of course i'll divulge I'll, I'll i'll expand a little bit more on it as we talk uh lee and i talk but overall yeah. it's a very good film not not too much controversy we'll put out there if if, if you want us to say this is probably one of the best films argento's done and it's probably one of the best films of the genre i think most people actually kind of cite this as the quintessential great fucking giallo uh of the you know of the genre this is the one that people sort of uh, set uh, all others uh to uh yeah so like yeah it starts out he he witnesses the wor- murder of the psychic and there, of course there's other psychics in this who are sort of uh, colleagues of this woman essentially since he can't go to the police and investigate with them because they want nothing to do with them other than to, you know, maybe he's a suspect, so maybe we should watch him for a while. But other than that, we, we don't really want anything to do with him. So he, he he actually, talking with the other psychics, trying to get what they saw during that uh, opening scene where the where the psychic woman senses somewhere in the audience that someone ha- is a murderer. And, that the, of course, that prompts the murderer to, to uh, kill her, and that actually sets off all the other killings. Because That's one of the b- best things about it. It's such a simple plot, but so effective, and it gives you a distinct reason why it's happening, uh, unlike many other films later to come. <laughs> 
And uh, uh, Daria Nicolotti, um, just just a little bit on her. She was uh, Argento's girlfriend for about ten years, and she is of she is the mother of Asia Argento. She 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 plays a newspaper reporter in this one, mm-hmm. so she's sort of got her eye on Marcus uh, throughout the whole film because she's pretty much convinced that he knows who the killer is. He's just he he needs to remember because he's traumatized. And of course Marcus is he's kind of this uh stereotypical chauvinist kind of white British dude to a certain degree because he's like, ah, women can't women are weak. Women are pathetic, you know, the they, they should know their place. And of course she beats him in arm wrestling and all this other shit and makes him yeah. look foolish throughout the whole film. But at the same time she's attracted to him. And, of course, she's also trying to get the story out of him so she can break the story. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, in the extended cut, uh, all the scenes that have been, like, generally cut out of most of the releases you see, there's sort of involved, like, a Italian comedy, like, almost like a romantic comedy between these two, you know, just bantering back and forth. And I'll have more to say on that later, but I, I, I did really like the two lead performances here as they sort of played off each other. Um, I, I think uh, Dario Nicolotti is actually pretty damn good. She she's been in several other uh, Argento films. Yep. Yep. And uh, speaking, of course, also on cutscenes, uh, the uh, police detective. Uh, a lot of his scenes were cut out of this film as well because they were all comedy scenes. This this is one of the rare films where all the major cuts in this film were actually done by Argento himself. He actually cut all that shit out for the U.S. release because he didn't think it was going to play over there. And actually, I kind of agree with him. I, I, I find, like, some of these these comedy scenes in this film uh, and some of the just sort of the banter between the two leads, it, as good as it is, it kind of distracts from the overall tone of the film for me because everything else is, like, super dark and super twisted. And I don't think it bounces too well. It's kind of funny. He took, uh, he took Romero's... Uh, Dawn of the Dead, and then cut out all the satire and shoved it into the German audience, and it got banned, basically. So then he took his film, cut out all the satire, and shoved it in the American audience, and it basically almost got banned, too. Yeah. (laughs) So, learn your lesson. Keep the banter in there. Uh, If I had to get out of my vehicle through the roof, I'd get a new one. Oh, man, the car. That fucking car that she has. I mean, that, that was just, a quintessential clown car. Yeah, and that that was part of the uh, sort of uh, sort of theme of her sort of like taking his manhood away from him, uh, because he gets in the seat of the car and immediately he drops down to a lower level. Yeah, because the seat's broken. <laughs> it's just it's fucking. It's, 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 it does. It's nice. It's a nice little play on stuff. It gives you a chance to sink into the characters a little bit, see a, a relationship developing. It's nice. I actually like that point of the of the film i, I do i do enjoy it but i do i do at this it's, it's kind of weird i'm kind of conflicted because i feel at the same time it kind of takes away from the film in, in certain elements but um but it on, still plays on the simple fact is uh the the uprising of woman kind of film mm-hmm. uh because uh, even through the whole film you have that aspect in in a few different places you know what i mean that kind of uprising of the woman thing so pretty interesting yeah and that's actually kind of refreshing for italian films at this time too because and not just italian but like european horror films in general they generally didn't have a very uh positive view on female characters usually i mean if you look at stuff like the fucking blind dead collection where every female character is either a whore or a liar or some sort of bitch who needs to be killed you Mm -hmm. know some sort of victim well it's true to life (laughs) 
There you go. But yeah, so Argento, you know, he's having a little fun on this one. Um, I think actually he's kind of uh, like his harshest critics always sort of say he's like a misogynist and all of his movies are just basically about brutalizing women or whatever. What do you think of the uh, kill scenes in this one? Because I I thought they were really, really effective, especially because all the kills are like really especially brutal ones that make you kind of cringe because, Mm -hmm. you know. Especially the teeth banging off everything. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. The, the the other psychic guy who gets his teeth smacked on stuff. Uh, Bernardino uh, Zapponi said the inspiration behind the murder scenes came from Argento and himself thinking of painful injuries that the audience could relate to. Basically, not everyone knows the pain of being shot by a gun, but everyone has a, at some point accidentally struck furniture or been scalded by hot water. That scene uh, with the writer there, because... Uh, Essentially, uh, Marcus here, he's sort of going on the trail of trying to discover uh, what's behind this mystery. So it leads him to a lot of different people as as he's going along. And the killer is essentially a step ahead of him, killing all these people. (laughs) So he can't figure out what's going on. So there's this one woman who's a writer on, uh, she wrote a book on like ghosts and legends. And one of them revolves around this mysterious house that people think are haunted in the area. Um, so she's trapped by the killer in, in her house. She is dunked in a hot water in the bathtub, like scalding hot water. First of all, it's a really effective scene because it doesn't kill her outright. Like she lives long, long enough to write some stuff on the, on the condensation on the, on the bathroom wall, which is a really cool idea. But I, I kind of wonder if John Carpenter sort of stole that for Halloween too, because even though John Carpenter didn't direct Halloween too, he, he did direct some parts of it and he did do reshoots to up the gore and stuff to make it more commercially viable. So I'm actually kind of wondering if uh, that sauna death is, is uh, directly ripped from that. So basically when the nurse and the man go in and he dumps her in the hot tub in Halloween 2. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I definitely agree with that. And I definitely have to say that the uh, for the other psychic dying with many teeth on many things, (laughs) I would definitely have to say that the uh, um, the puppeteer, the moving puppeteer was definitely stolen by Saw. Yeah, that oh, man, that is such a freaky fucking effect, though. Like just the killer sends that strange ass fucking puppet just right at him. And he stabs that fucking thing. The, and the only it. thing I would say that I didn't like about the death scenes was I thought Helga's death could have been a little bit better. And I don't know if when I watched it, there was cut at all, but there was just a few knife shots. And then she went through the window. That is one of uh, Argento's sort of uh, standard motifs, though, uh, of the, the victim being pushed through glass of some yeah. sort, you know, Tenebrae. Yeah, Tenebrae does it as well. The initial death is not not necessarily one of the more spectacular ones that he's done. But that also goes again, I'll talk to you later, but Tenebrae again. Uh, So, I mean, there is a theme. He's got a mm-hmm. theme going at least. Can't do anything, but at least be consistent. Well, it so. seems like he, he escalates. He doesn't He doesn't oh, start yeah, off. That's a, that's a very good point. Yeah. He doesn't start off with like the super impressive kill scene. He he sort of escalates things. Like he he starts off basic and and, and goes from there. And of course, a little bit of spoilers. But in the opening scene, if you're well, not the opening scene, but the opening stock and kill scene, if you are quick enough of your eyes, you can see who the killer is right away. And and that is essentially the whole mystery of the film because uh, Marcus uh, Marcus has seen who the killer is. He just doesn't realize it. Right. Uh, in, in, until later on in the film. 
And that's another motif of uh, Argento's films is that generally the protagonist uh, has an impaired vision of some sort where it takes them time to realize what they have seen. And they usually only find out in the end that, oh, right, it's been in front of me all this time. And I, I remember. Or he has secondary characters who discover the identity of the killer and then quickly are killed afterwards because yeah. Yeah, it's, it's too late, right? I know who um, it is. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, and that's here. that's this movie. Everyone who knows exactly who the killer is dies like a minute later. Uh, right before that, anybody can get to find out too. Because I, I was watching it the first time and I'm like, oh, he found the fucking, the, he found the uh, bathroom with the, the, and turned on the hot water. This guy's going to, oh, he's dead. Never mind. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> yep. and, and Argento's really smart in that he basically makes every character that you see a red herring, essentially, yeah. in these films. The only way you can really eliminate red herrings in his films is when he eliminates them for you on screen. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. I yeah. got it. And it, it's that psychic killer, almost, that knows exactly where everyone's going to be. Yeah. I'm Good. tailing everybody, baby. I got all the time in the world. Although in uh, oh, and when we get to Tenenbrae, there's uh, honestly, I think we'll probably do some spoilers for Tenenbrae. Uh, Do all the spoilers for Tenenbrae. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, there, there's a there's a really good explanation for how how many people end up dying in that film and why. I think the kills in this are really good. Uh, I think the mystery in this one is actually done really well. They He does throw enough really good red herrings in that you kind of suspect. Every, like, at one point, I was even suspecting uh, uh, Daria Nicolodi's character, uh, Gianna. After Marcus gets d- smacked on the back of the head there when he's in the house and he discovers the body or whatever in the room, she's like over his body and she's got this weird look in her eyes and it's it's almost like trying to trick the audience and thinking that maybe she right. did it. And right? we've seen that in other ones later of the, I knocked you out, but I'll make sure that you're okay later when because you didn't think I knocked you out, so it'd be all right. Yeah. Tenebrae, again, there's a little bit of that in there. I'll, I'll just say this. I think there was a translation problem in some of some of the stuff here because yeah. uh, Indian wrestling? No, that's arm wrestling. I've never heard that called Indian wrestling. Have you? No, no. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. In case anyone was uh, confused, Animals don't actually use telepathy, <laughs> but but they they start out right near in the start of the film. It is a known scientifically proven fact that animals use telepathy to communicate with each other. No, they use like pheromones and you know built in fucking. They have they have they they have the ability to sense more things than we do, but they don't use telepathy. Yeah, it's like hey, animals are well known to eat with telekinesis. No, they don't. They don't just <laughs> shove things in their mouth with their brain. So there's it, definitely a, a little bit of uh, I was they were stepping over their words, I think, a little bit when they had the scene where he visited Carlo when he was drunk. I believe the the one uh, the lover was and he when they were having the discussion, it seemed like they were stepping over their words a little bit there, too. Yeah, uh, the way they were talking, it was like, I don't know if that's the way you word that exactly, but I still got the point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and Carlo is kind of an interesting character. He's like a closeted homosexual. And if you want a black comedy, his death is the funniest. Oh, Jesus, is that bad. <laughs> like, that, that, that is like the worst possible way I can imagine. Well, it's probably not the worst possible way, but it's one of them that I can imagine dying. It yeah. Is- yeah, uh, and and he's kind of actually just uh, an innocent victim in the end too. He's he's another red herring for a while. There, you think, oh, this is the big reveal, but it ends up not being it. But uh, on the inter- on the internet, you have the thing where you can see there's still 15 minutes in the movie, so you know it's all right. Yeah, it's like, yeah, oh, it's not done yet. You know, there's another killer. Ah, gotcha. Um, he and it's interesting. Uh, Carl, well, Carla has a 
essentially a transvestite lover in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Massimo Ricci it was actually a female actress, Geraldine Hooper, apparently. Just Deep voice, up, no yeah. tits, beautiful. I'm, I'm actually kind of questioning whether that's a true fact or not, but uh, I don't know. There's no tits, and there's a deep voice and a very yeah. pronounced Adam's apple, even though all humans have one. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll just, I'll just take the internet as, as gospel truth, as it always I, is. All the facts are on the internet, man. They're all on uh, there. So uh, we'll get into a little bit of the uh, sort of versions that this film has gone through because there's quite uh, a bit of shit here. Yeah. There, there was a full screen or Italian language version of American Sub subtitles that contains credit scenes with David Hemmings reacting to the death of the killer instead of just being paused in the pool of blood. Um, and then finally, by the end of it, it finally pauses the image. Uh, the, I think most people's copies now that they can find has this sort of the still image of him in the in the uh, killer's blood in the end. The original UK Redemption video release was cut by 11 seconds to remove scenes of two dogs fighting and a live lizard impaled with a pin. Yeah, uh, but the animal, was, there is animal cruelty in this film. Ah, but it was actually later on discovered that uh, the lizard was faked. The lizard death was faked, apparently. Oh, it was, okay. It was described yeah. as an effect shot. Uh, so they waived the cut for the uh, 2010 Arrow DVD. The Brazilian version apparently omits the entire sequence of tracking shots along the killer's table with the drawings and the dolls, which I think is bullshit. I, I, that's some of the best stuff in Argento's films when he's like showing like the killer's workshop and yeah. the killer getting their gear ready to go out and kill and stuff like that. Like It oh, really adds. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Full-length Italian version of English subtitles and one small cut by UK censors is available in video in the UK in pan and scan format. Well, fuck, why would you want to watch that? And let's see, the original theatrical version, uh, the end credits are displayed over a shot of David Hemming's reflection in a pool of blood. The image is moving, blood drips into the pool, David Hemming's face changes expression, etc. While the credits are displayed, the Anchor Bay Region 1 DVD version, which is the one I have, uh, features the credits over a freeze frame, and we talked about that earlier. The English-language restored version runs 126 minutes. The footage, which wasn't in the original English-language released, is presented in Italian with English subtitles because there was just no English dubbing for those parts of the film. And and it's actually kind of, it's actually kind of jarring when you see that version of the film, uh, especially if you're doing it in, in English language. David Hemming's character has this like really uh, uh, snooty British accent. Like he's got that, I say, by uh, Jove, you know, kind that, of thing. That can't be the killer. That can't be the killer. And then it gets <laughs> into Italian. It's just like fluent. Italian with no accent And he's like yeah. deep voice too. He's not. He's not like the 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 British version. He's more like like whoa. Okay, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> that's what I fast forwarded through like a week ago. Yeah. Overall, I really like this film. I don't know if it's my favorite uh, Argento film, mm-hmm. um, but it's definitely one of the top ones that I really like. I think for me, uh, I'd actually rather watch the cut version with the uh, sort of comedy bits taken out of it because I. Honestly, I just find they don't balance well with the rest of the film because I really like I really like the red herrings. I like the murder mystery in this one. I like who the killer ends up being. I like the death of the killer. Which yeah, is the death of, of the killer is definitely cool. I the, they could have worked a little bit more, I think, on the neck 
to make yeah. the neck look a little bit better instead of that just like ivory white neck. But uh, I did like it quite a bit. Apparently that necklace must have been made out of like animantium or something like yeah, that. It, because... it is Wolverine necklace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, that thing, uh, Fuck your string. I'm not breaking. I'm cutting through your head. But, I, but I do love that. Like it, it goes with that theme that he sort of has for a lot of his killers where there's some deep seated psychological problem in their past that comes back up and makes them start killing again. Mm-hmm. And also like how the killer plays that little child song that, that you hear, like every time they're about to kill somebody, they, they play the tape of that song just to freak everybody out mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then gets into the killing. Just very effective. Uh, I, th- I thought all the set pieces in this one were great. Like this, this is a film that is great set piece after great set piece after great set piece. But at the same time, it doesn't feel episodic. It all comes together in a neat little package at the end. And I think, yeah, Ar- Argento really out- outdid himself with this one. And it's a really great fucking film that I think everyone should have watched by now if they haven't. So I would like to find the region where it's a full no cuts. With only English subtitles. I'd like to find that and watch um, that in its entirety. I'm pretty sure the Anchor Bay has all English subtitles. Yeah, so I'd like to find the full, you know, uh, 126 minutes, no cuts, and then uh, and then check it out with the English subtitles. So, But yeah, overall, it's a really good film. I just, um, I mean, there's a little things that, that would have been better. Like a little bit like the Helga scene, the neck at the end, yeah. like that. But other than that, I would say it's one of his most flawless works. Pretty, it's pretty clockwork. Honestly, the only things, and I mean, it's it's really subjective. It depends on what you want in a film like this, because some other people might find the comedy just like really balances out well with everything else going on in it. And if if that's for you, then you're gonna like this film even more than I do. And I think this film's fucking awesome. So. But other than that, I mean, the only distraction is some of the comedy stuff for me. I, I find it kind of doesn't quite work for me. But other than that, it's right up there as far as Agendo's work goes. Absolutely. So, yeah. I'll just take a quick uh, break, and then we'll come back and do a uh, tenor break. You filthy perverts. You filthy whore. I kill you. <laughs> you deviant perverts. We should, we should have did the whole podcast like this. I am going to <laughs> About
Okay, so now we're jumping up a few years to Tenebrae from 1982. Books, Mr. Neal. The book deals with a murder committed with an old-fashioned open razor, right? This girl, too, was killed with a razor, and your book's pages stuffed into her mouth. Can I ask you something? If someone is killed with a Smith & Wesson revolver, do you go and interview the president of Smith & Wesson? Peter, Peter, you can't let me down now. We're within two days of making a deal. Please, stay just until Friday. My life is in danger. There's no deal in the world worth risking my life for. Listen, don't hang up. We have to talk. You told me how, Peter Neal. You and me together. We've just begun. Jesus. Now time. I'd never written that book. You don't mean that. I've made charts. I've tried building a plot the same way you have. I've tried to figure it out, but... I just have this hunch that something is missing. A tiny piece of the jigsaw. Somebody who should be dead is alive, or... Somebody who should be alive is already dead. Explain that. You know, there's a sentence in a Conan Doyle book. When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. also known as Unsane. And if you see the title Unsane anywhere on a fucking DVD, avoid it like the fucking plague. We'll get into that later. But, of course, also directed and written by Dario Argento. So this is all him, basically, this time around. Anthony Francisco-a, Francisco-a, yeah, I think that's how it's pronounced, uh, is Peter Neal. John Saxon, the fucking man, John God. Saxon, is Bulmer. Uh, you'll probably know him best from Enter the Dragon or the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Daria Nicolodi is back as Anne. 
And of course, she was in Deep Red, like we just did. She's also done Mario Bava's last film, Shock. And she was uh, in some other uh, Argento films, Inferno, Opera, and even Mother of Tears. So she continued a working relationship with um, Argento even after they uh, broke up. Giuliano Gemma is Detective Jeremani. He's one I actually recognize due to my love of spaghetti westerns because he was in the couple of the uh, Ringo films, which are sort of like a third-tier kind of spaghetti western series that's fairly famous. He was also mm-hmm. in Day of Anger with um, Lee Van Cleef, and he was actually in For a Few Dollars More as well, although I don't remember him from that one, so I'm going to have to rewatch it and find him. Maria DeAngelo as Tildy, John Steiner as Cristiano Berti, or Cristiano Berti, uh, Veronica Leario as Jane Maccaro. She's probably best known now for being the former wife of Italian Prime Minister uh, Silvio Berlusconi yeah. or whatever his fucking yeah, name. Berlusconi, and you know that lucky fucker because she was hot. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, Christian uh, Borromeo as Gianni, uh, Lara Wendell as Maria Alberto, and we don't really need to get into the others. They'll die at some point in time. Yeah, they're all die. <laughs> this film is big on everyone dying, so. <laughs> We'll get into that later. Um, Jane, Jane had the nicest hair in the world in this movie. Did she ever? Yeah. <laughs> I just thought I'd let you know that. <laughs> yeah. So this one was edited down for 91 minutes in the U.S. Uh, it's, it's it's 101 minutes if you're looking for the full version. And I have the uh, I have the uh, Blue Underground version here. I have is... I have that on the big box. Oh, well, I just showed you I just showed you fucking Deep Red. What the fuck? Uh, Denebrae. Uh, yep. Christ. That's the same cover I have on my VHS. Goddamn, I'm unprofessional. Unprofessional bastards. Yeah. So this one also sort of follows the sort of same kind of general plot structure of uh, Deep Red and really pretty much all the other giallos that uh, Dario Argento did. Uh, Essentially the theme of sort of a artistically inclined person to some degree, what whatever uh, sort of uh, field they're in, get involved in a murder mystery. And and this time around, Peter Neal is a famous author of horror novels. Uh, he's going to Italy for a promotional tour for his latest book called Tenebrae. And once he gets there, there are murders happening all of a sudden that are mimicking the murders in his book. And of course, the police are very suspicious, although they can't really pin the murders on him because he just got there. He wasn't uh, even there when the first one happened happen so yeah so but they they feel like they have to uh at least talk to him and try to get some insight into uh the murders because the mind, the mind of the killer yeah exactly and also to protect uh peter neal because he might be a target and of course peter neal finds himself getting involved in it and taking it upon himself to try to investigate who the killer is because he feels threatened uh, eventually um because the, the killer discovers... Oh, thanks for that fucking motorcycle. I'm sure everyone heard that one outside. Um, I, I definitely heard it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the killer discovers that uh, Peter Neal is talking to the cops, and that it sort of escalates uh, the murders. I'll just say this. This is... And I guess we're probably really going to go into spoilers in this one, because, I mean, to talk about the plot in any depth, you pretty much have to spoil most of the shit in this one. So yeah. if, you, if, you, if you don't want to hear spoilers, like, if you're listening to this podcast, you should have watched these movies before Spoiler now. alert! Yeah, because Tenebrae uh, is probably Argento's most complex giallo. Tenebrae is definitely my favorite giallo. It is my favorite as well. I'm, I'm glad you say that because we're having uh, a tenebrae orgasm. We are. We're gonna have a giallo orgasm. Right oh, I'm like this. This is 
I think probably the peak for Argento stuff. I mean, this is this is also my favorite Argento film. I just think the layers upon layers of stuff that's going on in this film are much more impressive and interesting than anything he's done before and afterwards. He's he's got his typical stuff going on here. Okay, he's got all of his trademarks. Everyone's a red herring until they are killed or are revealed to be the killer. So that's right out of the way. Secondary characters in this one often discover who the killer is, only to be killed soon afterwards. Mm-hmm. And fuck, did they drop like flies. There's like maybe two people on the cast that survive. Close up of the killer's eye or eyes is big in this one. Uh, there's there's a lot of like cut-in scenes to the killer's eye. A lot of cut-ins to water uh, as well. Uh, they're all sort of visual themes that come up in this film. There's the trademark of vision impairment as well in this one certain characters not necessarily the main character but certain characters in this one see something and are traumatized so much that they can't remember it until afterwards that goes back to the secondary killers get our secondary characters getting killed because they yep. remember what they saw um, yep. or when they get so uh, um they need to find out so they go back to the scene of the crime to jolt their memory don't yeah. ever do that people just just yeah. write that down in your little book of life don't yeah, just, go back just send the cops to do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> just fuck it. Don't um, be a hero, son. And of course, we have, again, close-ups of the killer's hands in black leather gloves. Of course, this was Dario Argento. He, he basically did this in every film he did where there was killer black gloves doing mm-hmm. something. That, yeah, that's his hands in the gloves. I, I, uh, I have to make a horrible announcement. I actually don't own any black leather gloves. Jesus and Christ. I, I, I need to buy some. Do, do you, at the very least, own a mask made of human skin? Well, I do have that. So I'm if you get that in a chainsaw, you're not too bad off. I have uh, both of those. We're, we're good. We're good. Okay, well, see, I mean, you're, you're American. You don't necessarily have to be a black glove killer. You could be just oh. a typical, you know, kind of hillbilly killer. I am an inbred, so that works out well. There you go. <laughs> of course, also another trademark in this one, the murder victim goes through glass or a window. Uh, and mm-hmm. there's a scene of this happening. It is oh, so fantastic. It's amazing. It is. It is. We're, we're going to be talking about that scene, I think, in a little bit of depth. Also, the, the character essentially recu- recalls uh, clues from memory, which is also a, a specific trope of Argento's stuff, where the character is spending the entire film piecing things through their memory and uncovering secrets as they investigate the mystery and that that stuff is all here it's all classic argento stuff that he's laid out in his previous films but he it's it's like he brings it all here and brings it all together in a really great way that not only sort of encompasses everything he's done before but it also sort of comments on all the stuff he's done before as well in part also again thumbs its nose at his at his critics who you know just sort of deride him as being like a simplistic misogynist horror director who just is interested in killing women when here we have a film that has many many deep layers to it and uh, I'll just get you Paul to uh, give your initial uh, sort of thoughts on this film well when i first found the uh, tenebrae gave it a watch um i was completely just kind of sat back and enjoyed it all the giallo goodness uh it's one of my first giallos that i've ever watched and it definitely stands to the test of time for me it's one of those ones that i kind of hold all the other ones to even though i have enjoyed other ones like a uh, bird with a crystal plumage and uh well, four flies on things like that this one definitely is everything I want. It's gore-tastic, tit-tastic, and plot-tastic. It's everything-tastic. It's tastic with some tastic on it. Um, (laughs) I love everything about it. I like the nuances, the atmosphere. 
the music is epic. The the film, the cinematography, I guess I'd say. Mm-hmm. I look at they talk about Sam Raimi and his angles and what he does and how great that is, and I agree. But some of the stuff in Tenebrae is just as good or even better. I agree. Yeah, um, Argento has always been sort of on the uh, forefront of like new u- using new technology and like really flaunting it, and that's very apparent here in one scene. Argento's always been known for his like really great shots, like really great single takes and tracking shots, going everywhere and following things. But here he really like outdoes himself using new technology. It was sort of a crane shot. I think I have a little note here. Uh, yeah, the impressive two and a half minute crane shot that encircles Tilda's house. Uh, one of the characters took it, it apparently took three days to be completed and I think most of those were I think the two and a half of the days were just for planning it because they were using this sort of new crane uh, that they can control I guess robotically sort of like a robotic arm kind of thing going on apparently American distributors wanted this shot to be cut from the US release but Archendo refused which uh, good on him too damn impressive yeah because this shot uh, I think some people might mistake this as being the POV of the killer which it is not it is it is just this really impressive shot that essentially goes around. I'll just set the scene here. The killer is stalking two lesbian lovers who are having a spat because, well, one of them's bisexual and she had like a man over uh, for, for. He was fantastic. He was fantastic, better than you. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, and so they're having a little fight, and uh, so the killer, the killer is essentially just hunting down people who are associated with Peter Neal. the The girl uh, Tildy is, uh, I guess, a reporter or whatever who just had interviewed uh, or was going to interview Peter Neal. But anyway, she she's a she's a lesbian. She's mm-hmm. got her bisexual partner in the place. And they're not, yeah, smoking hot. Both of them are smoking hot. So essentially what this this crane shot does is it starts out on one side of the building, tracks along it a while, showing peeks into the windows to show basically just how insecure this house really is, how it very easily can be broken into, pans up to the roof and basically goes around, does it like basically a 180 and goes to the other side of the house is what it does. It might even do a 360. Uh, I, I, I can't quite recall, but it eventually settles on the killer's point of view where they're breaking into a window. Fantastic fucking shot. Like It's, it's amazing. I yeah. think this is one of the shots that made the movie... I, it's just a shot. I mean, it's not yeah. nothing too crazy going on. I, I don't know how to describe it. But that shot made this movie. And there's no there's no cuts in it. it it's just no, that shot. It's completely full. And the, and the coolest thing is, is the girl is playing the main theme for Tenebrae on her fucking record. Which and, I need I yeah. need that vinyl so bad. <laughs> the whole scene is that that sort of mimp drowns out the sound of the killer breaking into the window. Yeah, because so, she has the vinyl turned all the way up. Yeah, and the, the first victim of, of the two of them, she sort of hears, You filthy, disgusting pervert. But she's not quite sure if it's, like, coming from, like, the record or if she even really heard it. So, you know, she's, okay, something's weird, but I'm just going to take my shirt off anyway and put on another one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then it comes to the next most innovative killing of him cutting through the shirt, exposing her scared face, and then slashing her throat. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And it's it's just... There's a uh, later, later after they die there's a quote from the isle of lesbos that they and, and the isle of lesbos is where lesbianism apparently uh, the, the term anyway first came from the latin you know 
And I always thought her wearing that blanket, that's super hot. Um, just her just wearing the blanket always represented almost a toga for me. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was the relation also between the old, the Latin saying of lesbos, them being lesbians, the toga. I might have been reading a little bit too much into it, but I always thought it was awesome. Well, that's okay because the uh, – and I'll just – again, like I said, we're going to be going to spoilers here. So there's more than one killer in this film. There's 27. <laughs> and the original killer in this film, he, he's essentially uh, recreating the murders in Peter Neal's books, taking photographs of his victims, and essentially he's just – you know, he's uh, using – he's sort of a fetish murderer. He, he's he, very, he, very – He kills the evil in, in the world. World, being yeah. hard, you find out he's a hardcore Catholic later, yeah. to, uh, and his justification of purification. My only downside, I'll just throw this right before I forget it. Mm-hmm. My the only downside to this whole film is that Peter wasn't more upset about Tilly's death. Yeah, that's true. That doesn't make any sense at all because apparently, she, like, he even knows her mother. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, and he was just like, "Oh, really? Okay." But yeah, uh, so the original killer is essentially, uh, you know, just doing copycats from the novel, and of course, is basically using the novel as an excuse to go on his little moral. Uh, Catholic crusade against uh, aberrations in society and deviance and filthy perverts. Filthy perverts. And 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 you see you see this character like he's doing his interview with Peter Neal and he's like, so your book is all about the aberrations in society and how they must be you know destroyed and stuff like that. I was like, and Peter Neal's like shocked by it, like, no, that's not what my book's about at all, you fucking weirdo. And but the killer, but the killer does seek out evil. Well, yeah. yes, to a certain point, and you know, yeah. is it's, it's really good. Of course, the best thing about there being more than one killer in this, it keeps you guessing throughout the entire film who the real killer is. Uh, because halfway through the film, it kind of becomes obvious that this uh, Catholic guy is doing the murders. I mean, unless they put, unless they were going to put like some like really big twist in front of you later on, you're pretty much convinced at that point that he. he the is only the- at that point in time, because the fact that he is a talk show host, you have to do your little bit of a digging, so that explains why there's so much stuff there. Mm-hmm. But when you put a little bit two and two together on on scenery wise, you kind of figure it out. The only other red herring that really presents itself, which could be insane because they did m- remark that she was absolutely bitch tits crazy, was Jane. They did uh, throw in Jane right there before yeah. that. And they did, a, they did a thorough job of it, too, because there are these flashback scenes that are from the, obviously from the killer's perspective because uh, they all revolve around shots of the killer's eyeball and shots of water as well, uh, where he's obviously going to a flashback and he's remembering being sexually humiliated by a woman yep. on a beach when he's young. And then subsequent flashback shows him stabbing her to death in revenge. Yeah, and the red shoes. And the red shoes, yeah. And Jane gets red shoes. Um, The only problem with that is the flashbacks automatically denoted to me that it was a male. So if there was a little bit more of a vagueness to the flashback, I think it would have worked a little bit better. Yeah, it might have. But I I thought it kind of worked in a way that it made me think almost John Saxon's character was the killer. Yes, Um, yes. Because uh, as, as we go on, and John Saxon does a really great job in this film, by the way, he plays the agent of Peter Neal. He does. He, he does like a really sort of um, 
atypical John Saxon performance where he's like really animated and uh, almost kind of, you know, he's kind of like a shyster kind of character yeah, to a certain degree. He plays a great prick. Yeah. And <laughs> it, you find out that he's actually in an affair with Peter Neal's ex-wife or whatever the hell yeah. she was. I guess he was she was his ex-wife. Ex-wife, yeah. And then you get more of that almost like, was it, is it a Bay of Blood thing? Is it like some kind of internal thing he's trying to win by killing everyone else? You know, yeah. that's kind of interesting. Uh, there, there's a package sent to uh, Peter Neal's ex-wife uh, that uh, that's red shoes mm-hmm. and immediately start thinking okay she thinks John Saxon's character sent it so it makes you kind of think that yeah maybe he sent that so you're kind of thinking okay maybe John Saxon is the killer he, he has the red shoes but then of course like in the next scene he's killed <laughs> it goes back to that every and, red herring and, and randomly stabbed in public when nobody else sees it and it's a great scene too it's like almost like uh it is it's it's almost like it's from another film uh, right, the way right, it's yeah. shot. And the strange thing is the knife, it looks like a garden trowel. That's <laughs> like a sword that just happens to be cut down. I'm like, where the hell did you get that? Or, or I mean, it could have symbolized the the, the Gladius Hispanicus, the, the short sword used by the Romans. See, I'm reading into it again. I'm there reading into it. And it's, it's funny because uh, the, the stuff he shoots, Argento here, he shot most of this in Rome. Uh, but the neighborhoods he shot it in were like more modern neighborhoods that had like yeah. a lot of fascist architecture in them. Yeah. And were a lot more depopulated. Uh, Argento claims that this movie is supposed to be set like five or ten years in the future, where where the world is more depopulated for some reason. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think I quite fucking buy that. I think he just was making that shit up. But e- either way, it, it, it does have kind of a haunting kind of visage. Like the architecture is very uh, strict, really stands out, really really harshly. It kind of makes everything feel kind of cold and uh, remorseless around the characters. I felt to a certain uh, degree. But yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so John Saxon buys it. A bunch of other characters buy it. Again, we have like one of them's a young sort of agent in training who ends up dying because he finally remembers who the killer is. Like he he witnesses the original killer get killed by the other killer. Yeah, and and then he he eventually figures out who it is and he ends up buying it. And then he that, finally he finally remembers the confession slash killing. Yeah, the uh, girl there that was the uh, daughter of the apartment the manager yep. or whatever. Maria or Mar- Marion or something. Uh, yeah. she, uh, she ends up finding the meanest pissed off dog in the fucking world. <laughs> really? Super fucking jumping dog too, man. That jumping super over. Super athletic, pissed off, revenge uh, forward dog in the world. And and she doesn't have a good time with him. Let's just say that. They didn't go. No, she... He didn't go all lassie on her. He got he went all Cujo on her. She just has the worst death, man, because she gets attacked by the dog. The dog essentially, you know, very conveniently chases her into the killer's fucking house. Yeah. <laughs> and she discovers all the pictures and stuff, and then she's trying to flee the house, and then the killer fucking tracks her down. The only strange thing is the killer, like, and then she's like, ah, crap. Uh, and then then they go back outside but when they go back outside it's more to the backyard but the dog's gone yeah but other than that hey there you go i I was expecting the dog to jump up again that's what i was expecting i was actually expecting the dog to get the killer for a little bit so she could run away (laughs) at first you know what i mean to add to the thing and maybe add to the chase but uh you know then he you know oh my god i dropped my razor oh look an axe and it's like well screw you i'll kill you instead then how somehow that killer hides the axe in a tree 
mm-hmm. because then the other killer gets it out of the tree yeah. and then kills. So it is a little bit of a, a confusing plot twist right in about that point in time where what's going on. And uh, if I got hit with a rock that big, I'd be dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, 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 here's well, here's the thing uh, that that is that is a call to the end of the film. If if you look at what he does at the end of the film, you realize that he was never hit with a rock. Yeah, uh, he he faked it, right? He he yeah. just puts stage blood because the real killer at the end and i'm i'm just going to fucking spoil it i mean if you no haven't way. seen the if you no haven't way. seen the film by now the real killer at the end I will just the want you to scream at the door frame for an hour <laughs> the, the second the, the second killer is peter neal himself our hero yes. who we've been following throughout the whole film he, he realizes he was actually ape shit the whole time and wanted to just have some fun too uh essentially what they're doing here is uh, Argento is very smartly essentially Peter Neal has been repressing the he is the guy who's having the flashbacks of killing that woman back in the day and he has repressed that throughout his life and he's basically just wrote about murders in his books and has sort of kept it repressed to that but when this other killer starts using his books as a motive to do his own murders that triggers in him his memories and he starts killing and he realizes I can use this copycat as a scapegoat to mm. eliminate some people in my life who have caused me grief it's like i can i can eliminate my ex-wife i can eliminate my agent who is sleeping with my ex that that's exactly this is essentially what it comes from and at the end of the film he actually uses like a straight fake straight razor stage blood to fake his own death yeah so and it's a really good scene it was brilliantly done um Um, overall it's pretty good i just i noticed there's that little section where I thought they would crisscross killings a little bit closer, but it didn't. It was literally one killer, then he gets killed, then it was a different killer. Yeah, I thought they would crisscross him just a little bit, but they didn't. Yeah, well, I, I think I think the point was supposed to be that um, uh, the original killer's uh, murders, Peter Neal essentially realized, you know, as he was going on that, hey, I can use this to my advantage. I can, yes. I can take out some people. So, yeah, it, it, it works pretty well that way. Uh, there's sort of like a theme of dualism in this film. Like you see two of like just about everything in this film, including the characters themselves. Like a lot of characters like sort of act as doubles for each other or opposites at the very least. Right. Like if, if, if you watch in the film, like there's two scenes with phone booths. There's two car crashes in the, in the film. Uh, there's two scenes of airplanes. There's two scenes with homeless men. There's two scenes with fights in the background. Uh, there's there's the one of John Saxon where he's sitting on the bench and the killer comes up to him. There's a fight like yep. often, and then the, later on in the police station, there's a fight in the background. I love the the part with John Saxon because he's looking around and normally you would see serene love mm-hmm. everywhere in those kind of films. And if you look around, everyone's having a problem. Yeah, there's a crying woman who just got like dumped by her boyfriend. Yeah. And- yeah, yeah, it's like, and then John Saxon's just sitting there smiling, like, I'm going to get laid tonight. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah fuck you guys. Yeah. Um, there's, the, uh, there's the, of course, the two typewriters where he, he brought his own typewriter, yeah. but they bring up a typewriter thinking he'd need one. And this is the same um, one as he had. Yeah. And, and of course, all the characters sort of have doubles to a certain degree, I think. Uh, like the female police detective is kind of the double for the, the main female character. And that's um, the reason she dies, too. Yeah. Because uh, she gets mistaken, um, and, and I think the, 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 Jane, Jane's a murderer too. Do it yet? <laughs> she's she's obviously nuts. Jane's obviously nuts, and he is a bitch at Jane. I think we'll talk about that scene right after this, but uh, the detective, he is kind of a double for Peter Neal in a way. Uh, they they have conversations where he says he's a big fan of Peter Neal and he's read all of his books. 
Mm -hmm. uh, Peter Neal tries to play detective throughout the whole film, uh, while the detective says every time he reads one of Peter Neal's books, he never fi figures out who the killer is until the end of the book. So it's kind of an interesting kind of like opposite kind of thing there. And then, of course, there's that scene at the end of the film where he's standing there, and then you see Peter Neal move out from behind him. Yeah. <laughs> which is fucking awesome. Like that is just so great. And I think that was actually kind of like almost uh, just a, a happy uh, sort of uh, coincidence that their body shapes were good enough that that were, that shot worked really well. Right. <laughs> Peter Neal always reminded me of psycho. Mm -hmm. the, uh, that really nice guy that could never be doing any of this stuff all, all at the same time too. that demented man. It always yeah. reminded me of uh, of Anthony Perkins a little bit. The end of the film, as we said before, is climactic in a way. Mm -hmm. um, the beginning of the film is the funniest, cheesiest death ever. <laughs> and, and, uh, in a giallo, anyway. I yeah. was just like, really? 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 I'm just going to stand there and go, oh, not getting held or anything, really. Uh, yeah. You're just going to shove pages into my mouth and kill me. That, when you first watch it, you're like, Really? This is cheesy. Don't worry. That's the only cheesy part in the film. After yeah. that, it's pure gorgasm. So essentially, there's a sort of theme of uh, not only duality, but like deep-seated like uh, sexual trauma with uh, Peter Neal's character. And interestingly enough, the, uh, the woman in the flashbacks is uh, Eva Robbins, who is actually a transgender actress. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> And there was a transgender in in uh, Deep Red and in this, so that's good. I like yeah, it. Yeah, but this this was a real transgender in this one. A real one. Yeah. So. I'm still not sure about that fact from the last movie either, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Let me, show me. I want to see proof. Well, flip it, uh, flip it out. There, there are there are pictures of her with her uh, junk hanging out. So uh, if, you, if you want to look that up, with my dangling, my dangling. Yeah. Um, yeah, awesome. <laughs> That's a little fun <laughs> fact. It'll it'll make it extra weird when I jerk off to her later. That's gonna yeah, be extra, 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 extra creepy. Um, this film, as far as just indulgence for me, is great. I mean, I can watch the the house scene about a thousand times. Yeah, it's fantastic. When Dario Argento really completes this film, as I said, the end is is a climax. And when he makes the blood run down the walls, as soon as you see Jane axed. Literally, that, that you ever just... the axe. Literally, that it, it, he makes sure it's a white wall. It goes yeah. on, and it is beautiful. As, aside from a couple kills, almost everything is done in like really either daylight or really bright light. Yeah, it's so, definitely not hiding around in the darkness a lot. It, it's really well done. Like he he makes everything vi visually very striking in this film. Like that death with Jane is just oh, let's, say, let's use, use the word visceral. That sort of uh, artery spray there. Uh, um, arterial spray across the wall is fucking amazing. And of course, he does it in like slow motion too, so you get the whole fucking effect. Uh, of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just amazing. And um, it actually gave me uh, watching Peter end it was actually giving me the like twitches because him trying to pull that piece out of him made me feel like he'd really actually cut his fingers in real life, mm -hmm. and I was getting all like twingy about it. I'm like, oh, stop that! Just leave it in there. Yeah. <laughs> You know? Yeah, and and uh, Daria or Daria or however you want to say her name, mm -hmm. Anne, which is funny because she plays Anne in this movie, and there's a Gianna, but she plays Gianna in another movie, and yeah. there's an Anne. 
Uh, but uh, she uh, she is just absolutely bitch ticks hysterical, overreacts to an amazing office, uh, amazing degree, and literally screams at everything in visual sight. I'm surprised she didn't like reach down on her knees and just scream at a cricket while she was there too. Ah! She's just I screaming mean, at everything. To be fair, she really doesn't have a lot to do in this film. Like not not compared to Deeper in at all. She's just no. really, she, she's. Kind of, a, She's just in there to uh, as a filler actor, but does have a nice um, as you would have a working relationship. She she has a very personal relationship. He builds over time with Peter because she's always there helping him and doing mm-hmm. everything for him. So it's definitely a, a a closed in relationship that has built over time. And even though she like wants to slap him half the time, kind of like my wife does to me, she does love <laughs> him too. So uh, that is understandable, and you do get a little bit of that in there to build a little tension. But other than that, this film probably would have worked almost as well without her. Yeah, I mean, she didn't necessarily have to be in there, but, I mean, at the very least, she she s- sort of serves as the uh, sort, of, sort of red herring victim at the end of the film where you think Indeed. it's her who gets act- axed instead of the uh, police detective who ends up and, being... And he- the, the thing about Peter is you actually feel bad for him. I mean, he's easy to feel bad for. He's a likable guy. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty part. And if you look at like a couple other films, I mean, I know we're going to do one of these, but like uh, Bay of Blood, for mm-hmm. example, you don't like anybody in the film. No. There's nobody you like. I mean, there's just one of those things. This, you like Peter. You know what I mean? Like, you feel good about Peter. There's nothing... You I mean, some people, I'm sure, I mean, do say, you know, kind of root for Peter in the film. Like, no, he, he's a good... He'll he'll kill everybody. He'll, yeah. he'll he'll kill the bad guy, rather. He'll 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 win. And then he's like, dude, you just chopped her arm off. Oh, what the... And you just shot her, or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of thing, so... And even when he goes to shoot Peter, like, I should just kill you now, he was like, no, 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 no. And you actually still feel bad for Peter. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you can see he's pathetic. It's weird. Well, you, you can see, like, when he's slumped down in the corner there, he's like, it's just like in the book, just like in a book. Like, you can see that he's just, like, totally snapped. Like, yeah, every, everything he was putting in the book came to be in reality, and it just finally snapped his brain, right? It's it's really good. Some little bit of trivia things. Uh, the background music theme playing in the department store at the beginning of a film is actually taken from the European soundtrack of... Uh, Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead. Yep, yep. It was it was edited and rescored uh, for for this film. The the actual soundtrack of the film features uh, former members of Goblin. Uh, it's like three former members of Goblin, but they couldn't call themselves Goblin in this one because they had, yeah they they had broken up by by this point. And the drummer had the rights to the names, so uh, they had. Yeah, I just call had, him Hobgoblin and be like, yeah. "Screw you!" And at this point, at this point, they were uh, experimenting with the more like uh, drum machines and stuff like that. Yeah. So the the soundtrack, which I think is really good. Oh um, yes, yeah, it, it it sounds noticeably different though from like a lot of the previous uh, Goblin and just other scores for Argento stuff. So the uh, the regular Tenebrae theme is my favorite kind of giallo. Theme soundtrack so i definitely love the, the music in this film one thing i want to point out is an, a beautiful shot is when she's in the killer's lair with all the mm-hmm. photographs and stuff which is what i love i love shit like that when the killer comes in he takes his sw- his his eraser blade his switch blade and and knocks out the light bulb that is so awesome that's awesome <laughs> i'm sorry no that scene was uh, when he's killing the two lesbians oh is that when the, the, the i thought the light went out when uh, she she was in the she was in the basement no no I oh, oh, well, maybe I'm remembering wrong. Maybe they did it a second time, but I, I do know specifically the first time it's done is when he's 
hunting the lesbians down. In okay, the, okay, I could be wrong. Well, you see, the thing is, if it was during the lesbians, I was distracted by hotness. Yeah, well, I could see why that'd be distracting because she can't keep that fucking towel over her left tit to help. Thank save God her life. she cannot. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, but yeah, that scene where he takes the the the, the razor and and takes out the light bulb. If I ever made a, a giallo film i would you i would remake that scene i would have to because i love it uh some notes on the releases for this uh anchor bay's 1999 dvd release and their 2001 release are all the full cuts of the film uh the the 2001 also has uh, deep red on it it's a dual release oh cool um, yeah so that so the, it, both of those releases from anchor bay have the 101 minute uncut version the film is uh edited uh, in an English dubbed version called Unsane, and this is the one that is in public domain. So oh. you'll 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 see this on the Mill Street discs all the time. This is the one to avoid because it is cut down to ninety minutes. It, it's listed as one hundred and ten minutes on the Mill Street stuff. Almost a lot of the times, the Mill Street stuff get their times wrong uh, when they list it on their on their discs or whatever. But it's cut down to ninety minutes. So. You're basically getting 11 minutes cut out of the film, and mm-hmm. it's pan and scan at that. So it, it really doesn't look. I actually do have it on one of my Mill Street discs, and God doesn't. Yeah, look but when you shit. get it in the Mill Street disc, you know, you you paid five dollars, but you paid five dollars for 20 movies, so you kind of made out in the long run anyway. Yeah, but, but yeah. Uh, just, but just, let, just to let you know, it's not the true version. So definitely go check out the regular the mm-hmm. 101 minute. Uh, well, I think more more or less just just to warn people that if you see Unsane anywhere, that is what you're getting because it is like I said, it's it's public domain under that title, so you can see it on any one of these discs, not just the Mill Street stuff. So, I mean, it, I'm I'm sure it's probably in single releases somewhere. There's probably some company that's like, oh, we'll just put this on the fucking single disc by itself. I would have, I'm gonna look around for it just to see if I can get it with that title. If you guys haven't figured it out, we're fapping all over this movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, but it but it deserves it. It really does. It really because does. Because un- unlike Deep Red, there's a little bit more going on that just keeps you on the edge of your seat. And it does, even though you like the characters. I mean, there's characters to like, and there's characters to not like, and there's char- and the, the, everyone has their own little play. But they're all wrapped around in this kind of tension, like they might be next, and you know that. And it's kind of yeah. creepy, because it's more of an urban the urban slasher. He's running around, kind of killing everybody, and it's got this vibe to it that I really like. Uh, Argento was inspired to make this film by a series of incidents which saw an obsessed fan telephone the director and criticize him for the damaging psychological effects of his previous work. Telephone calls accumulated in death threats towards Argento who channeled the experience into the writing of this film. So, uh, you know, awesome. So it, it wasn't all, it wasn't just the critics, uh, that he was sort of talking about here, but it was an actual obsessed fan, which we actually see in the film, uh, in the form of the, uh, the first killer. So, uh, I don't know if I can have anything else to say other than this is a great, what, uh, film. what, what kill, what kill, what kills do you appreciate the best? I, I think the, the first, uh, the first kill of the, the lesbian in, in the, in the apartment after the tracking shot, I think just, that kill itself is kind of novel. It's very, it's very quick, but I think it's just very novel. It is very novel. Just the fact that her face is framed in the, the hole of her shirt. And then you see the blood afterwards where he, I like like how when they cut through the shirt, you just see fear. Mm -hmm. I love that. And then just a quick get out of it now. So you don't get, he doesn't linger on the fear though. You see it, you get a sense of it and then he kills. And I was kind of surprised that she was killed too, because you get the feeling where, 
in the opening scenes where she's talking to Peter Neal, you get the feeling that maybe she's going to be like a main character that's going to like survive for most of the film at the very least. Like, she could be the Gianna of Deep Red. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she no, she's just like, and it, she's actually probably the more interesting female character too, really compared to uh, Gianna or whatever. So yeah, she, when she's killed, it's actually kind of shocking and abrupt, and it's like, wow, I didn't expect her to die. It's weird. Uh, uh, she's very combative and very loud. Mm-hmm. about her point of view and yeah. we all need to know that all women that are loud and have a point of view will get killed so just be quiet girls uh, <laughs> and what what the thing is is unfortunately he kind of played off that he mm-hmm. didn't use that as a sense to show you that she's going to be a main character she you he almost used that as a sense that she has her own personality and her empowerment and she might be a lesbian and she he used it that way which was different than i thought he was going to use it if you know what i mean but that, well, I think that's one of the reasons he used that, and it culminated in one of the coolest kills in the film. So, yeah, well, <laughs> well, it, well, it ended up her character ended up feeding the motives of the first killer who was doing the copycat stuff because of his, you know, religious beliefs and shit. Right. Right. Um, so the the fact that she's a outspoken and was in the same room as the original killer in the initial sort of like media kind of conference yeah. thing that was going on yep. so she's obviously on his mind to be killed right away so Check. perfect perfect target for him essentially she's yeah. just a feed into his uh into his motivations uh of course i think my very favorite kill in this one still i still have to go with jane's because it's just so spectacular yeah um, Blarf. but I, but it but honestly, all, all almost all the kills in this are really kind of brutal and good. Like the, the young guy there who gets killed when he in his car. Like that's pretty. I, I love I love the fact that he has to turn around. Yeah, and see who it is before and he see dies. Who it yeah. is before he dies. Yeah, I like but that it, a lot. It, it kind of it, it just kind of reminds me of the same sort of brutality in like uh, Halloween, uh, where, where the where the what, what's her name gets uh, or or the, or the or the car death. Or where he's, she's like, my Paul, me, me. And then, and the, oh, and then he yeah. comes around and kills her. Yep, that, just like that. Yeah. I mean, um, these films, there's a lot of stuff that you can see. I mean, so it, unfortunately, this is a weird one because it's not that this film emulated by others. It's this film taking from other films. Yeah, yeah. It's different. So, yeah, and of course, a lot of it's just he's taken from his previous films as well. Previous, so. <laughs> as well, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah we can't say it, say it exactly like that, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, highly recommended. Uh, Paul says this is his favorite Argento film. Yeah, this I'll, is my favorite yeah, Argento. Absolutely. Uh, one out of ten. <laughs> 93 garbage. That's 93 answer. garbage. That's it, yeah. <laughs> uh, overall ratings on, on, on Internet Movie Database, I, I popped it up. It, it gives it a 7.2 out of 10. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with that at all, but everyone has their own perspective. And, of course, it might be, uh, you know, it's probably rated out of 15,000 people. It says 13, over 13,000 people. So you're going to – 7.2 out of 10 is a very good score considering you had 13,000 people rating it. I, to us, I think it's a 10 out of 10. Uh, I agree. And I, I happen I happen to know for a, it's a scientific fact, it's been proven that about 99% of the people who use the internet new movie database and rate on it are, are characters from the movie Gummo, if you've ever seen that movie. so There you go. <laughs> they're all they're all mouth-breathing hillbillies. Yeah, I thought they are all chuds, but I was wrong. It's close enough. Gummo, okay. chuds, it's all the same. We're good. <laughs> We're good. But yeah, uh, so both these films are recommended. Tenebrae is highly recommended. If you're going to see a Argento Giallo 
this is the one to see as far as I'm concerned. Paul, where can people find you on the old interweb? You can check me out on YouTube. One word, PA Brew News. On Facebook, three words, PA Brew News, even though PA is not a word. And then you can find me on YouTube for some underground black metal stuff like that on YouTube, Funeral Dust 666. Awesome. And you'll get our little trailer at the end of the podcast uh, telling telling you where you can go, where you can find us, where you can leave comments and all that good stuff. And uh, which one do we want to go on, Paul? I'm, I'm going to use oh. both. I'm going to use both themes. I mean, between the two films, I think I'm going to stick one of the themes in there anyway. So uh, which one do you want to go out on, though? Well, let's well, let, because Tenebrae is second. Let's go out on Tenebrae. That sounds good to me. Yeah. Sounds so we're going we're gonna to go on the awesome theme from Tenebrae. And we will be back next week with Mario Bava. Bava, Ava. And I won't watch them, so don't worry about it. That's great. Uh, hopefully Daniel will be back as well. And if he is back uh, next week, he will be giving his thoughts on these two films as well on that episode. So, uh, yeah. Awesome. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Paul, for joining me. And uh, we will see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Happy Halloween. Yeah. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For our other episodes, links to Daniel, Paul, and Lee's other stuff, and links to some great podcasts of similar interest, visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can leave us comments on the site or directly email us. We listen and respond to everything. Thank you. Drive through.